Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Jessica Jones Podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. We got a lot of baggage to unpack. The Jessica Jones Podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 208, a.k.a. Ain't We Got Fun, is sponsored by Whiskers Chocolate Bar, the perfect place to spy on your partner. Wow. Well, Pete, the perfect place that our listeners can share their enjoyment for our podcast is to head on over to iTunes, leave a review. You might be listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed. Maybe you're Jessica Jones solo. You could leave a uh, leave a uh, review there. Heck, maybe you want to double down, like I suspect Benowitz wants to do, and uh, leave reviews on both. But uh, we'll take any review that comes our way. It helps share the love. Absolutely. And uh, we'll be bringing you some more giveaways shortly. So anybody who leaves a new review to iTunes, a written review, will be automatically entered to uh, win. And you know what? It's even easier now. If you listen on your on your iPhone, the uh, the uh, newfangled uh, podcast app on iOS makes it even easier to, to leave a review. So Hopefully you do, but with that, Pete, it's time for some surveillance. Let's see what the episode was all about. Jessica wakes in the shackled bed to an explanatory Dr. Carl, who totally thinks Alyssa is a sweet lady who just accidentally has night terrors and kills people. She's so sweet she killed Kozlov to protect him and Jessica. She's still mom. Upstairs, mom is making breakfast just breaking every egg, cracking the garbage can, and generally making a raged mess. Dr. Carl says that mom doing menial tasks helps her calm down. Trish calls, getting told that the IGH investigation is over and everything is depressed and drunk. Bye. Trish is confused and in a robe. Malcolm, in a towel, doesn't think this makes sense either. Oh my. Back in Bayville, Jess is totally willing to help. She just needs to be unshackled. She squeezes out a text to Detective Costa, the Bayville address, killer. But Mom's angry, very angry, pinning Jessica to a wall and telling Carl to go away and lock the door. Mother and daughter are now trapped, with Alyssa saying Carl's such a great guy. A bit later, Mom's drinking her terrible wine and offers Jessica a glass. Enjoy it before Mom gets sent to the raft, you know, from Captain America's Civil War. Time passes again and Jessica goes for that drink barely willing to talk to her mother, but hearing for the first time about the decay of her parents' marriage. Alyssa notes her daughter was dark before the accident, listening to the Nirvana and such. What was their past? Life imperfect, viewed through the broken lens of a broken teenage life. Speaking of broken, how'd mom break out of this gilded cage? Jessica notes the drag marks on a bookcase, hiding a hole in the wall. Detectives Costa and Sunday arrive, guns drawn, cool sunglasses still on inside the house. They make their way to the basement, but Jessica and Alyssa are gone. They're in a cab with a guy who is texting and driving. That makes Alyssa mad, mad, mad. So it's time to walk. They're not even over the bridge, but one cut later, they're in Hell's Kitchen. Thanks, editing. It's just a pit stop, though, for the mom that chose daughter over Dr. Carl. Alyssa admits to truly spinning out of control sometimes especially after that small window that allows a sedative to stop her. But only when it's personal. And hey, Detective Costa is here. They talk out in the hall. 
Costa reads Jessica as uncooperative and walks. In that time, Alyssa has flown another coop and can't be found on the street. But back upstairs with Oscar is where she's found. Mom is impressed with Oscar's dissolved color field. Very Helen Frankenthaler. Jessica gives Oscar a heartfelt thank you for the help and the painting. Mom's spending the night, though Jessica says there's no way this ends well. Back in Trisha's apartment, Malcolm accuses her of using again, using the inhaler no less. The former addict has ID'd the former addict. But Malcolm, it's totally not a bad drug. It's just a smarty drug and totally cool. So let's go get Jessica. Malcolm, recovered, walks away. He walks into the Chow and Benowitz investigation. Someone's been buying at the chocolate bar, which is less about candy and more about shirtless hunks of color. He's off to the Whiskers bar when Trish calls. You won't tell Jessica about the teensy-weensy drug thing, right? Click. At Whiskers, sure enough, Benowitz is there. Malcolm tells him to come out to his wife. Be honest, stop the lie. And who sent him? Uh, Linda Chow, who Benowitz says he has dirt on. Time for the two to fight each other, apparently. Speaking of fights, the conversation moves outside where Benowitz walks and some toughs go looking for a fight with Malcolm. He gets in good hits but is saved by Super Trish. He's hurt and takes a puff of the inhaler, horrified by how he feels. At Jerry's apartment, she's found Shane Ryback, Inez's healer friend. He's in jail, but Jerry wants to talk about Inez, who's smart, capable, attractive. Inez talks her downward spiral, sometimes doing things she's not proud of. We learn Jerry had a rough past too, growing up dirt poor. But no handouts here. Inez needs a new place pronto. Jerry's off to see Shane Ryback, who's not happy to see her and less happy to hear about IGH. He's not about to heal anyone, though she convinces him she's the best lawyer ever. He takes her hand, then feels sickened enough to leave. Later, Jerry returns to her empty apartment. Well, not so empty. Inez returns the clothes Jerry bought and is ready to walk, though Jerry has poured two champagne glasses. Time to celebrate Shane getting out for time served, and Jerry feels hopeful and thankful. There's a sizzle to the scene, but also a power imbalance. Ultimately, the sizzle takes over. In Jessica's apartment, it's bedtime, with Mom in the bedroom and Jessica bedding down on the couch, hearing her mother sing a familiar song. They're going to have hot toddies, but a sniper's bullet rings out, the first missing, the second hitting Jessica. She's all right, but Mom's ready to be the rage monster. What suspects draw our focus in this episode? Pete, where do we begin? Well, we begin, Matt, with Dr. Carl Malice, who is very much involved in the beginning of this episode and then completely disappears. <laughs> uh, yeah, hopefully for story reasons, this a, this a very good episode. Uh, definitely a bit of a step down from last week's great episode last week. Last episode's uh, greatness. Um, but yeah, he's he certainly is there. I... I I like him less and less. He certainly is not meant to be likable. But this idea of your mom is just totally great. And I love her. But boy, boy, she can be tough sometimes. Like when she sneaks out and kills people and has night terrors that could kill me. But otherwise, she's really great. Like this guy is just messed up. He is. I don't quite see their bond. Um, we've been told all about it. But we don't see it. We've seen 
him talk to her and talk her down. We've seen him be understanding of her. We've seen her uh, let him get away. Um, and yeah, I really don't get it. I mean, screenwriting 101 is to show and not tell. And we haven't seen that. We've also seen him tranquilize her on the street. So, yeah, I, I get it. It's what the character says. That's a form of characterization. But uh, he just seems like a really blind person in light of uh, Alyssa's redeemability. I think, too, there's this weird, you know, in a show that certainly the first season discussed consent and in this episode where, you know, we'll talk Jerry later and some issues of of implicit consent, you know, to what degree is Alyssa, to what degree is she a, a partner in this relationship that Dr. Carl thinks that they have? Uh, as you mentioned, you know, some, sometimes to calm her down, she just needs a, you know, a tranquilizer to the neck. She seems to explain that away uh, later in the episode when she's in Jessica's apartment. There's this small window where I can, I can be controlled. That might be true. If that's the comic booky DNA editing, she turns into a rage monster thing. Okay, I got it. It also kind of sounds like, you know, oh, I had that coming. Uh, so, I'll, and I'm not, I'm not condemning the show or praising the show one way or another. Let's see where this evolves. Uh, evolves. If in the next episode, Doctor Carl gets hit by a train or IGH sends Monster Number Two to kill him, all right, then we kind of have gone nowhere with it. If we do something with him as creepy stepdad as opposed to Doctor Frankenstein then I think, you know, his creepiness could turn into a good story point or he's just the mid-season villain, if you will. Absolutely. And to shift gears here back to Alyssa, um, that she's dug her way out of uh, the the basement she's been kept in before, that um, she has circumvented the controls that... Uh, Dr. Carl has attempted to put on her who believes she is redeemable, yet she's going and doing these things. It's completely eroding his position. I also wonder, too, is it bad on Dr. Carl, bad on the writing? You know, you're not at any point wondering how she's getting out at night. And, and I realize it's only recently this has been brought to his attention, but hey, I have a completely secure room downstairs where, let's assume the best intentions, where she can be kept to prevent uh, her from hurting herself or others. Okay, fine. Oh, she's getting out. All right, you don't want to take a little loop down there because those are big, giant scratch marks on the floor. This is not Indiana Jones in The Last <laughs> Crusade where, look for the X, look for the X. Wait a minute. It's a big, giant X on the floor that you wouldn't even notice if you, if you didn't get up on the second uh, floor there. Like... Come on, there's four walls, choose one. That's probably how she's getting out. So I think that's a story foul pending further episodes. It is. I mean, we definitely have to throw what color is the story flag, uh, the story foul flag, Matt? Um, Pete, it's going to be all sorts of, uh, oh, all sorts of very Helen Frankenthaler dissolved colors. That's, that's, that's what I know. <laughs> I'm going to say it is red and white checkered like a picnic uh, table. <laughs> uh, that certainly works for me. Um, side note, a quick visit to the Helen Frankenthaler page on Wikipedia. 
that's some uh, beautiful art there that I didn't know about before. So thanks, Jessica Jones. Uh, Pete, who else is a baddie in this episode? Baddies, Matt. Homophobic alley thugs. You know, I think the inclusion of those guys was really, really smart because a, you know, it does stuff to propel the story for our key characters. Like Malcolm is beat up. So he's going to try the, uh, the inhaler he's saved by Trish who increasingly, you know, is acting like, I don't know, Pete, is there some sort of feline creature we could compare her to when she gets all, gets all crazy. Um, but, more I, maybe more importantly than hey you wrote a thing to make characters do different things it's kind of this reminder that you know yes we do live in a world where things are more accepting um at least we think we do then sometimes some things happen in the news where you're surprised that there are still people who haven't quite changed their views and this is kind of a nice reminder within this episode that despite the fact they live in a world where there's guys in robot suits and big green guys and there's a hole up in the sky and there's aliens and we're all one humanity that there's still guys in lower Manhattan throwing around, you know, the H word and the F word and all that, you know, and they haven't gotten, they haven't gotten over that, you know? I think psychology's proven it enough, but here that the writers chose to put uh, some homophobes right outside of a, of a known gay bar, Matt. It's that old, what you loathe in yourself, you point out in others. So what are super straight dudes doing right side on the, on the back end of a gay bar and then giving somebody who comes out of it a hard time? Uh, and then they get beat by a woman. So uh, the only people... <laughs> who don't win here are the fictional homophobes. <laughs> certainly, certainly we win as audience members seeing them get what they, uh, what they deserved. Pete, here's one for you. I, I, uh, how do I put this Pete? Though I liked how the scene ended. I had some concerns about Jerry's, uh, seduction of Inez particularly we had a line uh, in an earlier scene how Inez has done some things she's not proud of crossed some lines I think the implication there that she has she has sold her body yep. uh, and then we have Inez being told all right you're getting kicked out Inez now is at a point where she feels she needs to return literally everything Jerry has given her except for the underwear Bottom line is there's something, I think, unsavory about the position Jerry has put Inez in for now Inez to seem totally into what's going on. And if Inez is into it, that's okay. I just, you know, I think there's, again, we're at this issue of, you know, there's a power differential here. There is. There's a little bit of desperation going on. But I think when we talk theories, Matt, there might be some kind of explanation. Well, I certainly will. Hope so. Uh, Pete, last baddie I would like to identify, the last uh, the last suspect here, the shooter. I assume we'll talk more about the shooter in uh, in the theories segment, but I uh, can't let the episode end without saying, hey, someone's taking shots. As the cool kids say, shots fired, shots fired. Shots fired. Let's hope it's not the Punisher. <laughs> 
Indeed. Actually, Pete, I, I, I have one more suspicious thing I need to mention to you. I know uh, I mentioned it in the recap. Detectives Costa and Sunday wearing their sunglasses into I the living room. I noticed the same thing. I'm like, all right, one of them wears it in. I get it. You didn't have time to do the quick affectation of pulling them off. I just pulled my reading glasses off here as I did that. Uh, but two of them? <sighs> Yeah, uh, not a story foul. That's a costuming foul. That's a yellow handkerchief. <laughs> Cryptology, where we uncover hidden messages and larger themes. Pete, where are we going to start? Well, in terms of notoriety, Matt, the raft getting a shout out in this episode. That, of course, the... Uh, not so super secret, but uh, super difficult to get away from prison for people with abilities. Last scene in Captain America Civil War where Cap broke uh, the rest of the soon to be secret uh, Avengers out. Yeah, I loved that reference. And I have no doubt that despite the fact that it's secret, it's secret the way you know, like the B-2 bomber is secret. Like there's or a certain point Guantanamo where... Guantanamo Bay or yeah. something like that. Absolutely. Oh, I mean, there's no question it's the Guantanamo Bay prison for superpowered people and it's being used for the same PR value. Like, where is it? I don't know. Can you get to it? Not without, you know, all sorts of military ID and risk of being shot down, et cetera, et cetera. But do people know about it? Do people know this is a consequence? You bet. And, you know... And I'm sure in the MCU, at least off, you know, off or outside what we're seeing in the movies and TV shows, I'm sure that there's all sorts of, you know, it's being debated on ZCN, good or bad, the raft, creating a new generation of evil superpowered people, etc. How about Jerry as a self-made uh, millionaire here. Uh, I had no idea that her backstory, we, we heard about the dad in a previous episode, you know, with a rather ignominious end, but here that she grew up in a trailer that she was relentlessly teased over her clothing as a child. And now she's turned herself into this super successful woman and she's dying of a, of a wasting disease. Uh, no idea this was coming. I thought it was a wonderful character turn. And I'm not saying, you know, people who grow up with such challenges, therefore grow up to be emotionally distant. But I think for fiction, that's a great way to do it. I mean, why is she this icy person who keeps everyone at an arm's length, including her wife and the person she was cheating on her wife with? Why do, Why is everyone kept at a bit of a distance? This is a much better story versus like, oh man, she didn't have enough bonbons served by her maid because she grew up in the lack of luxury you know it's a much better character arc and also it makes her sympathetic this is an episode where she's she is flip-flopping on herself you know she's st stone cold totally hard and kicking Inez out and then hey i had a good day maybe you can stay and etc etc um it, it's it's a great benefit to her to her character what I like the most about this episode, and it's difficult because it follows on the heels of an all-time great Jessica Jones episode, perhaps, Matt, the greatest episode of the series to date. Um, it plays things in a way that's not over the top. It would have been very easy 
for Jerry to go see the healer and okay, close in on the hands and there is a white glow mm -hmm. and Jerry has been healed and that storyline is gone and we now have this powered man in custody and it's a wrong and everything. And the next two that I'm going to mention are really put in a way that we have no answers to, hence we can debate them. Is this healer a con man and follow up? Has Jerry been healed? Well, to me, the clue that he's not uh, a con man is the fact that he says it started with a uh, it started with a uh, a muscle cramp. I believe he said in your hand. Uh, so it's something very specific. Now that said, I was having a conversation just in the last week with some coworkers who were swearing. You know, one went to a psychic, and the psychic was able to reveal all these things about uh, you know recently deceased family member and blah blah blah. And I'm sitting there going. Yeah, I don't buy it. Like, I, I hear your story. I don't buy it. Here, because nobody reads the obituaries in print media anymore, Matt. Yeah, I mean, or whatever. Or ask a couple of probing questions that don't sound probing and infer from there, et cetera, et cetera. So I could see the story going either way. But I feel like, look, someone made this character, some writer made this character say something very, very specific. Um that that we you know we've heard reference to it being just a cramp we didn't know it was in the hand uh so i read that as legit and also i would i mean i was completely ready for the practical effect of glowy hands and being like ooh i wonder how they did that must have been a light bulb maybe covered in rubber so no one would get their hands burned and then a guy hit the switch and it lit both of their hands you know so i think that she's not healed we need more shane ryback in the future that would be my bet um my bet would be she's gotten him loose or gotten him out for time served because legally that's easy to do. It's an easy move for her as a lawyer. But now she can go to him and say, uh, hey, you owe me. Oh, and if you don't, maybe I call up the DA and say, you know what? On second thought, we're not going to fight in court. Throw this guy back in jail or whatever. Jerry doesn't seem like the, the type of person to be convinced just based on a piece of information. She is a needing to see it type of person uh she's a she's a doubting thomas um she's a jerky jerry uh she did she feel some kind of benefit as a result of his touch did maybe the hand cramp go away hence she's bringing home the the champagne here and, and she truly does she's physically felt the hope i say no i think that he gave her enough reason to hope that she said hey you know to read through these legal files for an hour and then to call up the da and spit fire for 15 minutes uh so that's 75 minutes i can get this guy sprung and potentially get more from him yeah that's worth my time um i think for her that kind of was the the, the cost benefit analysis of it's very little effort to have him be indebted to her if it ends up being a no-go eh, okay in the interim you know it's 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 less than an afternoon it's a long lunch and she gets this done i also think there's plenty of story potential for him to continue to save her or not save her and we get more jerry um particularly at a point now where she's somewhat on the story sidelines i mean we've reinvigorated the chow and benowitz fight and you know 
if if Jerry lives to the end of the season, then it's probably going to be you know Hogarth and Associates with Chow and Benowitz both out. But in the interim, she needs some bits and bobs story wise to do, and it could be continuing to search after this guy's powers. <laughs> Let's check our mail drop. Here's what you have to say. Pete, what do you have? To the Fantastic Geek Facebook page we go, Matt, where Robert T. Frost writes in, Holy cow, and we thought Trish had mom problems. When does JJ have time to research Hogarth's partners? I'm worried about Malcolm. He's taking on more and more as he becomes a more active member of Alias Investigations, but... Being left to figure out how to do things on his own. Just because Jessica has a knack for PI work, uh, it doesn't mean that Malcolm has it too. Some mentoring is in order. His early success could lead to overconfidence, which could lead to disaster. And that doesn't even take into account how unstable Trish seems to be and the inevitable fallout that's hovering on the horizon. With the hand being dealt a major setback by the defenders, I think it would be a perfect time for Hydra to rise from the ashes. P.S. If the, quote, healer, unquote, that was mentioned by Inez turns out to be Jessica's brother, we may have to rename this show. I'm sorry, uh, rename this from Jessica Jones to The Incredibles live action show. (laughs) Uh, Look, I, I oftentimes can be an apologist for the character of Jessica Jones here though. I will say there's when it comes uh, in regard to Malcolm in particular, there's no question that she is a self-involved self-destructive person and she's been okay with Malcolm as her secretary assistant. And now he wants more and it's like, Oh, it's either this or uh, nobody answers the phones and wakes me up and gives me, red bull so i can talk to cases uh sure whatever 20 percent um i think the fact that he's i mean look he is saying to her i need work at this job of mine or i'm going to relapse into drug use i mean he he has all but said that he said i have an addictive personality i need things to do how about more work please Mm -hmm. and she's been you know living out of a bottle or chasing other things which you know have had their own story appeal but she's not taking care of this guy to whom she is indebted and to whom she's also protective so i think robert is absolutely correct you know he we already saw in this episode he got over his head a little bit all right three on one fight with you know with those guys that certainly beats, you know, with those really, you know, burly in shape guys hanging out behind, uh, a, a known gay bar. <laughs> yes. Um, but I mean, I mean, could, could it get worse for Malcolm? It absolutely could while she's off pursuing her own story, albeit a very interesting one, compelling one and getting to know her mother. And, you know, she's, this whole discussion that we have of, uh, you know, was she this way before the accident? Was she just a disaffected teen, et cetera, et cetera. It's all great story stuff. It's just not great for Malcolm himself. She needs to be a better team leader, bottom line. And Pete, we have our own team, the people on patreon.com slash fantastic geek who keep things going. You know what? We don't let them down by sending them out on assignments unready. 
Absolutely. They keep us ready. In fact, there, there's even, Matt, the ability for them to give us assignments uh, at a, a certain level of contribution. So everybody who goes to uh, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Fantastic Geek with the P-H uh, gets exclusive podcast content. And then you can dictate the terms after that. So thank you again, one and all. And uh, always appreciated, as you said. But Pete, the most appreciated thing is being able to talk to you on Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 9,836 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast any way you like. Leave a comment at fantasticgeek.com, email fantasticgeek at gmail.com, tweet us on Twitter, Fantastic Geek, or check out our Instagram, Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more! Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek, PH, the one word, the all that, like it today. Well, Pete, we are going to keep this week going with some Jessica Jones stuff. Shield at the end of the week won't drop, never stop, at least till the <laughs> series ends, uh, or at least the, the season ends. Oh my goodness, Pete, I don't want to be forecasting the end of Jessica Jones' series. No. But anyhow, yeah. uh, with that, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. I may be sick, but I'm not a sucker.